Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Bacosek. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Mike Vulcan, to talk about the concept of freelancing. Mike is often referred to as the king of freelancing and has been freelancing for over a decade with resounding success. He has had dozens of media appearances spanning radio, TV, and podcasts, and has also been featured on the homepage of Upwork. As a best-selling author who has built and sold four companies, Mike continues to inspire entrepreneurs throughout the world, helping freelancers break free from the corporate rat race and spearhead their own successful careers. Mike, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Yeah. Can you dive in a little bit more about your own career story, just so our audience gets a bit of a, a look into who you are? Yeah. So uh, I uh, became an entrepreneur in my young 20s, and I would attribute my uh, being an entrepreneur to Osama bin Laden, I guess you could say, as terrible as that sounds. Um, I joined the Army, the U.S. Army, three days after 9-11. I just dropped my corporate job and uh, wanted to be a part of whatever upcoming war was coming up because um, I got the bug of patriotism in me. And uh, within that month, I found myself eye to eye with a drill sergeant at basic training um, in boot camp. Uh, and then when I graduated, I was shipped off to Iraq, did my tour of duty there. And while I was in Iraq, I, I wrote a book about how to survive basic training uh, so people don't go in unprepared like I did. And uh, I didn't really intend for it to be a book. It was just a bunch of notes I was writing down while I was at, at you know, in Iraq, bored, bored out of my mind uh, during downtime. Um, publisher picked it up, turned it into a book. And then, you know, I, I put it up a website. Uh, and then like the next day I woke up and then I had like, five orders. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. I made money when I was sleeping. Then the next day I woke up, there's like 10 orders. And then I was featured on military.com. And I woke up, there's like 600 orders. I'm like, my God, how am I going to fill all these book orders? And then I was like, this, this cool, this thing is cool. I can make my own money. And then I never really looked back being a, a corporate guy. I uh, was an entrepreneur ever since that gave me the conference to confidence to start some businesses, sell some businesses and the rest is history. So cool. Can you dive in a little bit more about around your military background, how has that really kind of shaped you as a freelancer yeah, good slash question. entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a question a lot of people don't ask me. Um, being in, in the military really helped me develop my leadership skills because um, I didn't have any before I went in there. I was always the kind of guy in the back of the room that didn't raise his hands and was hoping that the teacher would never call on him, that kind of thing. Um, after the, you know, the military, I was like, you know what, bring it. I'm going to start the conversation. I'm going to lead the conversation. I've got ideas. I'm going to execute them. It, it really took the fear uh, out of me uh, socially mm. and, um, and from a execution level. Um, yeah. You know, I wanted to start my ideas that I always had in the back of my head. So somehow the military brought that out of me and it's been history ever since. Cool. Sounds like you kind of had a little bit more of a higher comfort level around maybe sticking your neck out there and putting yourself out there, hanging your shingle up and seeing what business you could build. Yeah. Maybe it takes a seven foot Captain America guy screaming in your ear to uh, make that happen. But, uh, it, it took it out of me for sure. Very cool. Yeah. Give us a rundown on kind of how you define freelancing for someone who's brand new to the idea. The definition of freelancing is almost like a consultant where you would accept on a service-based uh, fee um, you would exchange your knowledge, your ideas um, for money uh, for a company. Um, now, the difference between freelancers and, and consultants is consultants usually come in at a recurring contract price. Um, they have a relationship with an executive, for example, uh, if you're a consultant and they say, OK, come in and do marketing strategy for a set amount of fee every single month. 
freelancers are usually project-based. They don't have to be, but they're usually by and large project-based. So a company might come to you with a specific goal and say, make this goal happen, as opposed to a consultant who um, doesn't necessarily have an endpoint in mind. It's more of a relationship-based advising relationship. That makes a ton of sense. And that sort of um, compares really, really well, I think, to the definition we got of consulting from Rochelle Moulton a few weeks ago when she was on our show talking about consulting exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the things that I hear a lot of when I I talk to people who are freelancing or are are considering freelancing is there's some degree of fear or imposter syndrome that's kind of set in. How do people overcome that? Well, there's a lot of freelancers out there. Uh, yeah. There's tens and millions of them, and it's growing every year. So there's a lot of people that come into, you know, maybe even being a side hustler and thinking they can't do it full time because there's somebody out there already doing copywriting, or there's already designers out there. What do they need me for? You know, and that's something I teach at my freelancer masterclasses. Like that doesn't matter. Like if you have a passion for something and you have a niche, um, then there's millions and millions of dollars for, out there for you to grab. And I'm making three times what I am, if not four, at my corporate job. And there are other marketing strategists out there. I'm not the only one. I was very late to the game. Marketing strategists have been around before I was even born. Um, I came in and I captured my share and more. And I turned down a lot of business. So I am confident. And I'm no genius. I am not. I mean, I graduated high school. I was exactly 50 percentile in my, my class. I was no smarter mm-hmm. than anybody else. And uh, I was able to get out there and do it. And I have confidence. And that's my passion is to make sure that people, they don't want to be living the corporate rat race. They come out there and there's nothing more fulfilling than working for yourself. And I love to make that happen for people. You work with a lot of different freelancers or people who are trying to become freelancers. What are some of the main challenges that they face early on? Well, I have a video. One of my most popular videos on my YouTube channel is why freelancing sucks, even though it's a (laughs) freelancing masterclass. Um, I think maybe it's popular because it's shocking. It's coming from the lead instructor of a freelancer masterclass, which is me. Um, But I'll tell you that, um, well, the obvious things like there's there's no corporate holidays, right? Those are fun Christmas parties. There's no steady paycheck. Although if you do it right, the paycheck could be way bigger and better. Um, It gets lonely sometimes, um, you know, if somebody gives you a task to do some coding or code a website, you might go a couple of days without talking to anybody. Hmm. In my case, it really doesn't bother me since I'm kind of an introvert. Um, and to be honest, the biggest problem that a lot of people have is finding clients kind of sucks. I mean, it's not the funnest thing in the world. Um, it's not a money maker unless you do it right. Uh, and most people see it as a time suck and they never really feel like com- they're comfortable with it. There's a lot of awkward conversations like, negotiating your pay or, or doing contracts. Right. So that kind of stuff kind of sucks. But in my opinion, like the, the benefits outweigh the drawbacks big time. It's those, that percentage of people that can get over that and have confidence in themselves and make the uncomfortable comfortable. Uh, they can really find their stride and realize that, uh, you know, being in a corporate job is really meant for, I know it isn't bad, but it's meant for middle class and middle class is meant for to keep you in line to say, okay, here's your paycheck. Uh, you get this amount of money every month. You can take a vacation during this times when we tell you, um, and you have to wear this and you have to take this, you know, come to our office and take this commute every day. And like that kind of stuff just isn't for me. It almost felt like prison. Um, and as soon as I was able to work on my own and get rid of all that stuff, only then did I realize how restricting that was in my life. And Um, the big thing is people just don't want to get away from that job security, getting that steady paycheck. But I'll tell you 
as a freelancer, the job security is way better. And mm. I'll tell you the reason why. Um, when you have a paycheck from one employer in a corporate job, you have one paycheck, one employer, one job. And when that goes away, whether it's reasons of your own or not, maybe it's economy, then 100% of what you have is is lost. And a lot of, you know, what's a, the free, the finance people are always like, you got to diversify, you got to diversify. That's how you, That's right. you make ri- you make yourself rich, right? Well, as a freelancer, I have 12 bosses right now. I have 12 clients. And uh, if I lose a job, that's not going to affect my paycheck that much. You know, uh, I still have 11 forms of income coming in. So uh, I actually find job security is much better as a freelancer than it is at a, at a corporate job. Wow. So I have a quick question on the type of people who should become freelancers. You mentioned that you're an introvert and that might be contrary to what some people think a freelancer should be. So from your experience, what qualities do people have when they're going into freelancing? Yeah, really good question. Uh, Introvert or extrovert, I don't think that makes a good freelancer or a bad freelancer, to be honest with you. It's more of the the type of freelancer that you are, right? In my experience, um, extroverts are usually sales reps, inside and outside sales, customer service, HR, those type of people. Um, Introverts are usually your coders, your web programmers, you know. To some extent, your designers, um, those are the ones that like to, that prefer a keyboard than a, than a conversation. But um, I don't think introvert or extrovert, um, I've seen successful freelancers in both of those types. Great. So a lot of people talk about a diff, there being a difference between the idea of a freelancer and an entrepreneur. Like I know Seth Godin kind of goes off on that in a lot of his work. Do you see a difference between being a freelancer and being an entrepreneur? I mean, there might be subtle differences. Um, but by and large, you are an entrepreneur if you are a freelancer. You're working for yourself. You're creating your own money. That, to me, is an entrepreneur. Um, and an entrepreneur might be a broader term for a freelancer. Well, it definitely is a broader term. An entrepreneur can be a business owner of a product or, or a service or anything. But a freelancer has a specific skill, and they make their money by selling that skill to other companies. So they're very, very much an entrepreneur. Okay, cool. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Can you go back to, I know you talked about an amazing plus of freelancing being the diversified revenue stream. And that's something that I'd actually never really viewed it as. That's that's really insightful. Can you talk about some of the drawbacks of freelancing? Yeah, well, one of the biggest drawbacks other than finding your own clients is inconsistent hours, right? We're so used to in this world, like waking up at a certain time, going to work at a certain time and you're done at work, you got your home time and you you have the weekends, you have your two days out of your seven days, you can do what you want. But on one of those two days, you got to do chores or honeydew lists or whatever the case, right? As an entrepreneur, freelancer, um, you have inconsistent, you work whenever you want to work. Like if it's Saturday afternoon and I have to get some some work done, then great. I just might take off Tuesday morning, which I do because I'm a tennis player and I like to play matches. And if hmm. it's Tuesday and everybody else is at work and I have a buddy who wants to play tennis, I can go play. Like that's the kind of benefits that I get at being a freelancer, but it's also drawback. Like it might be Saturday and everybody else might be playing in the snow and you might have the commitment to have a discovery call with a client or something or a prospect. And you got to do what you got to do. You just got to remember your life doesn't fit in a, in a nice neat bucket as the corporate people do. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that that's something too, that a lot of people don't necessarily see. So I'm really happy that you highlighted that people will say, Oh, you're a freelancer. Things must be so easy for you. You get a flexible schedule, but you, a lot of the time you're working more. Yeah, you're working more, but if you do it right as a freelancer, and this is one of the things I talk about in my masterclass, the benefits of a freelancer is if you provide a niche service and you can template what you do, um, then you don't 
you don't necessarily uh, have to be working more, right? So for example, right now as we speak, I'm, I'm doing a content marketing plan for a company. Now, I've done a dozen of these, right? I'm not creating this content marketing plan from scratch, mm -hmm. right? I'm piecemealing it together and about 80% of it's template, 20% of it's customized. This person's gonna get a very professional content marketing plan for uh, a couple thousand dollars. If you were to do it from scratch, um, it would have been $4,000 plus, and it's gonna take me less than a couple hours to do to be honest with you. So if you can find a way to template what you're doing, um, then, then that's gold. I mean, your, your time is, um, you know, echoed many times over than if you create something from scratch. So your, your goal as a freelancer, number one is to get business, but then number two is to template your business. Repeat it. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to take a bit of a reach here on this and just ask you, uh, about a concept that I don't think we've really talked about on the show a whole lot. So if this is new to you, dear listener, we will cover this more in depth at another time for sure. But when it comes to working on a project basis, how do you look at pricing your services? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, the most common obviously is hourly, but that is an absolute terrible way to build a business yeah. um, because you only have so many hours in the day. Right. And then what do you charge hourly? Like, so many freelancers, I have a whole class on like how to determine your hourly rate and they're, they're all over the map, right? So typically there's 2,080 work hours in the year, right? So you just, you divide what you want your salary to be by, you know, let's say you want your salary to be $100,000. Divide that by 2,080, you know, doing the math in my head, that's about 48 bucks an hour, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about what your time is worth at work, that's what they're, the company is paying you is $48. Do you think you can make $48 on your own? Probably, yeah. Anybody can do that with any skill set, most likely. Um, but uh, the the real way, there's many ways to do it. There's two real ways that can scale you past that hourly figure. Uh, you do the flat fee. Uh, that's typically the way I charge, right? So I'll tell a client, I can help you with your marketing for $5,000 a month, and this is my obligation to you, um, regardless of how many hours it takes. I have a job, and I'm going to do it. Um, and the other way is value-based pricing. So yeah. um, let's say this is popular for developers or getting to be popular. You say, I can build your website. It's gonna, here's three fees, right? Here's one, two, and three, almost like going to Starbucks and seeing three different sizes. And you kind of want to do the largest one because it's 20% more value with only 5% more cost, right? So you want to give them three options. And typically when you give a client three options, they tend to pick from one of those three instead of negotiate. Um, so now you can set your own rate. Uh, it's a neuromarketing hack. I'm a neuromarketer. And if you give somebody a choice, they're less likely to haggle over price. So um, value-based pricing is getting very popular. Yeah, I follow some voices in the value-based pricing space, and I can see that it's starting to get some major traction. Can you talk a little bit more about, what did you call it? A neuro... Neuromarketing. Neuromarketing. Yeah, yes. please. It's, uh, there's a lot of advances in neuroscience, especially in the last 10 years. We've learned more about the brain than we have in the entire history before. Uh, the last 10 years has been really amazing because of the studies that we can now do. We can actually track certain how neurons are fired between um, brain cells. Uh, you might have heard um, neurons that fire together, wire together, fire together, right? There's a whole study around neuroplasticity. Um, so neuromarketing kind of goes into that and, and is a study of, from a marketing perspective, why people buy or why people make choices the way they do. There's that reptilian brain. You might've heard that phrase that um, is kind of 
uh, a guard across like all these advertisements, but there's something that makes people click a yellow buy now button over a blue one. You know, why is that? So it kind of studies that. Uh, the, one of the most famous examples of uh, neuromarketing is Campbell's Soup. They increased their revenue by millions of dollars by making a neuromarketing um, uh, investment. They had determined that people were not reaching for their cans of soup over their competitors uh, because there um, was no um, steam coming out of the picture on the, on the labels. So they, they created a, a test in grocery stores and they monitored how many people reached for the can. Um, and it turns out that over two, 200% increase of people reached for a can that had steaming food coming out of the label than a non-steaming food. So it was like little uh, tweaks like that, whether their website tweaks or real life tweaks, like I just showed you with the Campbell soup. Yeah. Um, it's that kind of study. That's what neuromarketing is. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we could go on a massive tangent just talking I about know. that. But uh, with respect to our listener, I should, should probably dial that one back out. But you have definitely hit on a cool subject there. Yeah. Cool. I'm, Lisa, go ahead. Yeah, I have a quick question sort of along those lines. So you work a lot with uh, small business, really helping with marketing and things like that. Mm-hmm. So have you seen some trends that are coming up in marketing in the new 2020 world or is it are things fairly consistent from previous years definitely changing changing so fast i used to have a book called social social networking for authors it told it taught authors how to market um their books online and it uh, i created about 11 versions of that and i got tired of updating <laughs> it because every time i published it <laughs> something changed that it was like it was a, it, what i wrote was irrelevant um yeah obviously mobile is coming huge right um it is predicted that within 10 years eight, eight to 10 years cell phones won't even exist anymore um, it'll all be, you know, on the wrist displays right on your skin type of thing, weird stuff coming around, coming along, um, marketing wise, everything, um, is changing, uh, especially the neuromarketing field's brand new. Um, there's not that many certified neuromarketers out there, but th- the whole concept around, um, how people are buying and the, the principles of the, the reasons why people buy what they do aren't changing, but getting them to buy is different, you know, and, and how you study what people are buying is different. I mean, there's a, a yet a whole other show I can do about why you should have certain colors on your website versus not, you know, as an example. But um, to be honest, um, from a website perspective, um, really popular now, videos are replacing static images, right? White space is getting really popular over just filling the whole page with, with really neat design elements. People respect white space. Um, there's uh, webinars are getting really hot um, you might have seen a lot of these, you know, fake webinars where you, you would check in a webinar would start every 15 minutes, but it was pre-recorded and it would have like these fake chat rooms on the site. Like those are really popular, mm-hmm. even though they're cheesy, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I could give there's a whole other I could come on a, for a whole other show and do a whole talk about neuroplasticity and how the brain um, is is changing the way people think. Uh, or just at least what we know about the brain is helping us understand yeah. the way people think and process information. That's interesting that the way that we're taking in information is changing, but our actual needs are staying the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting everything around our society is built up around trying to buy as much stuff as possible. Uh, my house actually burned down in um, 2017 from a wildfire here in wow. California. Oh I've since moved in, but I rebuilt my house and moved back in about eight months ago. And the amount of stuff I've accumulated that is totally unnecessary is like, is amazing. And after the house burned down, like within two months, um, I had very little to my name. Um, 
but I was surviving just fine. I had 95% of everything I needed within five feet of me. It's like, I don't really need that much stuff, but we as consumers see all these cool, fancy new gadgets and we just got to get it. Like I bought this snowboard and I haven't even used it yet, but I have to have it into my garage, you know? So it's yeah. like all this marketing is just making us buy stuff all the time. But really what we need is very, very little. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm with you there, but it's very interesting how it sounds like we're sort of at this threshold level of knowledge in terms of understanding how and why people buy in a way that we didn't not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially now that we have people are doing studies, there's entire companies that are devoted to just studying why people pick certain things off a shelf than they do, or why people click a certain button on a website than they do. I mean, they're hooking up electrodes to people's brains and actually checking the, the, the brain activity on this. I don't know if you've seen, this isn't related to marketing, but there's a movie called something solo. It's about a climber. Do you know, are you familiar? Free solo. Oh, that's yeah. Right. Solo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the most fascinating documentaries, this guy just climbs mountains without anything, not even a bottle of water. But one of the things that was fascinating in that documentary for all those who haven't seen it is they hooked up electrodes to his brain and they figure out why is this guy doing it? Like, how can he do this when most people are just scared to get on a ladder? This guy's climbing mountains, you know? Uh, and it's just, they, they found out that his brain, the part that ex, um, excites the brain that is, has to do with fear, it just doesn't exist. Like when they, they show people falling off mountains to him, like in a, in a TV on the TV and it just doesn't do anything for him. And most people's brains, it just just lights up like, Oh my God, I don't want that to be me. But we can do that now from a marketing perspective and figure out why people are buying, why people are reacting to certain things. And that kind of information that we have, it's like getting the Hubble telescope for the first time. We're now able mm. to see deeper into space than ever. We're now able to see deeper into our minds than ever and try to manipulate and figure out why people are doing what they do. That's very cool. Yeah. Taking this back to more of the heart of the freelancing conversation, because I'm sure there's some connection here. Um, but if someone is is just starting out as a freelancer, what are maybe the first two or three steps that they've got to really follow and get down in order to find success? I know you've hinted at it a little bit earlier, but can we get into the, the dirt a bit there? Yeah. I mean, are you looking for personality trade wise or actually steps that they would do to get their first client? Steps that they would do to, to get their first client. Well, I would say um, the easiest pickings to get a client um, is to get on a website like Upwork or freelancer.com or fiverr.com uh, and to determine what you want to do, right? It doesn't matter how niche you are when you're just trying to get a little bit of work, just a process of going through and creating your profile. You'll probably find out a lot about yourself. Look at other company or look at other people that are doing the same thing that you are and get inspiration from their profile, spin it a little bit, make it your own, make it unique, get yourself a profile up there and, um, hope for the best, uh, Upwork, uh, the, the jobs will usually come to you. And if they don't go on LinkedIn, I get most of my, my business from LinkedIn and, uh, start networking with people who would be your ideal client, start developing relationship. Um, it'll probably take about a hundred people to connect with you to start getting some good replies. But, um, at this point, 90% of people will stop doing it because the quitters are usually the ones that don't go very far. Um, but if you can make it over that first hump and I'm telling you, it's like that first contract you get from someone, it'll just, it'll exude in your confidence and you'll just start attracting other clients. They'll just start coming to you. Uh, it's amazing how it just kind of takes up a life of its own. Um, but really it's that first one to three clients that will be the biggest, by far the biggest struggle for you. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. 
so the mindset thing really comes into play early on when you're trying to find those first few clients. It sounds like it does. Yeah. And then, and then really, once you get those first clients, you can start experimenting with pricing. Like I doubled my pricing overnight. Uh, I think like four or five years ago, I went, I think I was charging like $85 an hour. One of my clients said, man, this is like the best value I've ever gotten out of a freelancer. I'm like, all right, well, let me try doubling. I'm going to go to 160 an hour. And then you know what happened? Instead of losing business, I got more people reaching out to me, better, better clients, less yeah. micromanagers. Um, and absolutely nothing changed except I got more people reaching out to me because I doubled my price. So I, I just keep going up and up. And as long as my book of clients is full, I just keep going until I find that equilibrium where people are just like, whoa, I don't want to pay that. And then, but uh, I haven't reached that ceiling yet. And hopefully a lot of other freelancers won't either as they gain confidence, they'll, they'll find that, uh, there's price is not the issue if you can portray enough value. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like you're also providing a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the key really is um, understanding how to talk to people and the discovery call and making sure that you're leading the conversation when you're bringing on a, a client. Um, you have to be interviewing them as well as the, them. You, they have to know what value you bring and that, Hey, marketing strategy isn't a $5,000 a month expense. It's the fact that I can provide, um, you know, this much more money or conversions or um, better staff to your company, uh, how valuable is that to you? I mean, that makes $5,000 seems like nothing at that point. You know, it seems like a return on your investment. So that's the way you got to position it. I just had a question that completely escaped my head. Well, the rule is that if you don't think of it for 11 seconds, that it'll come back to you just like randomly in the middle neuro. of another sentence. <laughs> okay. Watch for that to happen. Okay. Um, I think it's been seven seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here it is. The, uh, so the idea around kind of building the confidence to go out and raise your fees as a freelancer and bring in better clients. I understand that that makes a whole lot of sense. How do you coach people who are struggling and maybe they object to you? They say, Mike, uh, I can't double my fees. I'm going to lose I'm going to lose half my business, right? Obviously yeah. that doesn't really add up, but how do people kind of overcome that confidence hurdle? Yeah. It's just understanding fear. Fear is the biggest um, drawback of every entrepreneur. I don't want to get an investment. I don't want to go out there and get financing because I don't believe I can raise money and blah, 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 blah. You know, I do um, every single day. I, I practice what's called creative visualization. Um, and it's basically medit active meditation. Uh, I meditate, but I also find, I also think about the end goal of what I want to do. Um, and I do this a lot for tennis cause I'm a competitive tennis player. So I'll picture myself winning a match, doing a good shot, um, hitting a great, a great serve, but I'll also experience the feeling that I get, um, when I'm doing that. And you can bring that across your entrepreneur endeavors too. And, um, creative visualization gives you the confidence to let that fear subside. Um, and if you want to double your fees, double your fees, um, you just, uh, believe me when I tell you that I've heard time and time again from many freelancers, I say, just do it, just go out and double your fees. Like as an entrepreneur, uh, coaching call, I will tell you that almost every time, if you've been a freelancer for six months and you haven't raised your fees, just double them like overnight, you'll be shocked. I've never had a, free, a freelancer come back to me and say, wow, that did not work at all. Uh, it always works out great. Uh, because if you are experienced enough where you are confident in your ability, um, then doubling your fees is, um, will separate you from the, the sea of other freelancers who most sure. of them charge less than $30 an hour. Right. It puts you in that premium mindset to your prospects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes total sense. Cool. Lisa, do you want to add anything here? Um, we'll just go to some of the questions that we love to ask our, uh, interviewees. Sure. So what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career? 
Uh, I would say selling my businesses. That's always fun, right? Um, so I had an idea for a fitness product um, on, uh, where was I? I was on an airplane or something. It was a fitness travel product. I was thinking of like, cause I have, I like to work out, but when I'm, I was traveling a lot, I never got a chance to, I had to settle for some crappy hotel gym. Right. Mm -hmm. So I got an idea for a fitness product, built it up. Uh, within two years, I sold it for a good six figure amount and I still retained a portion of the company. Um, so it was really cool to think, wow, that was not that hard. And, uh, that wasn't even, that was my side job and mm -hmm. I was still consulting full time. So that's really cool when, uh, you get a big cash payout for something that was an idea in your head less than two years ago. Mm -hmm. And my product sold in like 20 different countries. And, um, I was getting a lot of followers on social media and yeah. all that just comes from an idea. And that's what just drives me as an entrepreneur something that I can take out of my head and turn it into like a real life thing that is affecting other people's lives that for the, for the better. Wow. That's amazing. Very cool. Thanks. Yeah. So sort of on the opposite side of that, what would you say is the biggest risk you've taken in your career? Um, just starting businesses is a risk, but um, singularly, <clears throat> I would say the biggest risk I've taken wouldn't be in my career. It'd be just, you know, dropping everything and joining the military. You know, um, that was just something I was going into a world of unknown. I, I had a master's degree. I had um, a good paying job um, that was steady. And, um, and then I just decided to join the military and now I was, I was joined up with, um, people, my, in fact, my quote unquote battle buddy who I'm supposed to be attached to in basic training was told by a judge, you know, you got to join the military or go to jail, like, uh, different class of people than I, than I typically associated with. So, um, it was looking back on it, it was pretty cool. Uh, but, um, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I, not in the manner that I, I don't regret joining the military, but I wouldn't do it in the manner in which I did it. That's fair. And that kind of answers my follow-up question of how did it turn out? Yeah. Um, it gave me some valuable life lessons that I'll take with me to the day I die, but um, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't do it again if, uh, if somebody paid me. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then the last question I have is what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Hmm. Hmm. I would say it would probably come from a book. Uh, I would say uh, it was called and I'm not getting paid by this author in any way, but there's a book I called, called The Power of Neuroplasticity. It's by Shad uh, Helmstetter, I think. And um, it wasn't necessarily one piece of advice. It was the fact that the book really showed um, the power that is within your brain uh, and your ability and your confidence. And um, it just changed my whole way of thinking about being like a timid entrepreneur who is just melting in with the crowd to, hey, I'm in this blue ocean. I could do what I want. And, um, you know, that's blue oceans, a term versus red ocean where you're competing with everyone else. I'm in this blue ocean. I could do whatever I want. The world is my oyster. Go get it. Um, you're your only limitation, that kind of thing. He kind of backs that kind of talk, that inspirational talk with science and proof and studies. And it really brought home, hit home for me. Uh, and that's what kind of, um, was really inspiring for me and, and took me to the next level. Wow. Sounds like a great book. I'll have to put that one on my list. Yeah, totally. Good reading. Every entrepreneur should read it. Great. Good to know. Thank you. Mike, where can people find you? Well, um, for consulting, mikevolkin.com, V-O-L-K-I-N. Um, and then if you want to be a freelancer, make some extra money. Uh, I have a, a course called freelancermasterclass.com. 14 hours of pre-recorded videos. We do some group sessions every other week. And the goal there is to make you six figures or less in 90 days. So uh, it's a step-by-step nine-step course. Wow. Amazing. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Are you active on social media at all? 
I am. Yeah. I have a, a YouTube channel. I put out every, um, every Thursday, I put out a, a video on YouTube, uh, free, yeah. just go to YouTube, search freelancer masterclass. And, um, yeah, I put out, uh, everything I do is, is about putting out, uh, freelancer related stuff. So, uh, almost everything goes through freelancer masterclass on YouTube and on Facebook. So check those channels out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure to hear your range of stories and clearly you've got quite a, a niche expertise here in terms of freelancing. Cool. Well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully I'll be on again. It'd be a pleasure to have you back. Thanks so much, everyone, for being with us this week. Mike Wolken, a fantastic guest. Thank you for your time. For the Career Builders Podcast, I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Picose. And we will be with you again soon. Bye for now.